Welcome to Song Thrive, an interview podcast that explores the stories and events that lead to great songwriting. Today, I'll be talking with G-Love of G-Love and Special Sauce, the Philadelphia-bred artist who's best known for his blues, funk, soul, and hip-hop styles, lets us find out more about his creative process and musical roots. Let's jump right in. I guess let's start off with, you know, do you remember how you came into music? You know, my mother put me in, um, in some guitar lessons when I was like eight years old. My guitar teacher, like one of them, I had such bad rhythm. My guitar teacher would put his, my foot on top of his foot and, um, and stomp his foot. So that way I could feel where the beat was. But I do remember one of my guitar teachers saying, you know, one day at a lesson, he was probably super frustrated because was, I was terrible. And he goes, why are you doing this? And then I kind of got into it a little bit. And then when I was 15, um, it's kind of funny, like, you know, I, I just kind of wrote, I wrote kind of what I call my first song, which I could still play. And it was, it was kind of a knee-jerk. I don't know why I wrote a song, but like I, I wrote a song because it was kind of a knee-jerk reaction to life. Um, and it was like this, my, my best friend, um, he had gotten, uh, in ninth grade, he got kind of popped for, um, he got popped for having weed or something in school and, or someone found out they didn't bust him, but they knew he was doing it. And, so he was kind of asked to leave the school and his parents put him into boarding school. So I was really bummed out. My best friend who is quintessentially is now my manager <laughs> is, um, and doesn't sell pot. <laughs> but, um, yeah, so he went away and, and I was pretty bummed out. So I, I wrote a song about that and also, I, and also incorporated, um, kind of my first little girlfriend in it. So it, it kind of, um, it was cool. I, I, like I said, I don't, it was a really pure thing. Just like I had these emotions, these feelings and I threw a song and then, and then I thought that was pretty cool. And, and I kept writing about all these different, um, you know, just everything that was going on in life and the things I was thinking about. And, and I find that the songs that I wrote during that time are really pure um, because there was no kind of like, you know, there was no like, um writing a song for money or writing a song for people to hear it it's kind of funny to think back but you know it's it really open and the chorus went like we've shared the best we've had the worst but we've always been together just the two of us at the end i i did say you know but there's one that makes me go on and she's a lover and i love her you know so it, it was like it, it was interesting it was just a, a song about friendship so I, th I think it's cool and um i think it was cool that i was like you know, you know, open, open with my feelings. And, and I, and, and, and then I, you know, like I kept writing these songs and, um, and then I played at the town show one time in 10th grade. And by then I had a little folk rock group called Greenwood. And it was me, a straight edge skinhead who was Quaker. <laughs> straight edge Quaker skinhead and this little Jewish girl named Wendy. And we said we were like the eighties teenage version of Peter Paul and Mary. <laughs> <laughs> but man, we brought we we brought down the house, man. And that was like so amazing. 
and and that time I got the taste of the stage. And then I, I, I actually got interviewed by this blue paper and I remember saying that saying that like, you know, through songwriting I kinda have found my voice. You look back at the songs and like you know, and like it's a theme I'll keep coming back to is, is the purity and the reason for writing the song. Um, because you touched on it earlier, like the whole theme of your why why you want to do a podcast about songwriting because you know, um, when I look back and, and I've, and that's why over my whole career, which since the band's been together for over 25, 26, 26 years. So when I look back, um, you know, over the years I've, I've, I've come back and re and recorded those songs I wrote in that very first batch of songs, um, throughout my G11 Special Sauce career and their own records. And um, I, the reason they keep coming back to them is that, well, if a song's good, then it keeps coming around year after year after year after year. So there's some of these songs that I wrote when I was 15 that I still play and are on records and I perform them. And um, I find that that first batch of songs is really pure. You know what I mean? It's really pure. And the songwriting is great. And I think it's interesting because I think when kids become 15 or 16, they really kind of develop into their own people and they're highly intelligent also and and they're also open and like you have this like euphoria you like this um this this joy of being a young person and the innocence and everything else that comes with that and so the songs that were written in that time are, are great songs so whenever i see a kid or something it's writing songs it's really cool because then they might be writing their very best stuff. You know? <laughs> Tell me about it. I know, man. I, 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 I just had a friend over yesterday. Uh, we were jamming, um, and I've been working on some acoustic stuff. And I, I always go back to this song that I that I when I was sixteen. And it's like weird because it's like you would think, you know, I'm 33 now, so it's like I'm starting. It's actually funny because I wrote my best stuff back then and and just now. Like all the stuff I wrote with my band, I I really think I was just writing for a crowd. So I, I feel you on that, man. Pulling pulling out the old the old songs, and it's like it feels weird because it's like, man, I was literally 16 when I wrote that. How am I still playing this? But it's it goes to what you just said. Like there's some purity, and you're not jaded by anything, you know, at that point. So. Um, so you start so you know you start playing with this band um at what point did you go into the studio where you were like all right let's let's put this you know let's put this on a record and and make this a, a real thing i would make these cassette tapes you know on my boombox and send them try and get on the account shows and so i started when i was like 16 17 trying to actively get my music out there with you know a little bit of success not really but like found some different things like battle of the bands at different schools and you know if there was a party going on like there would all jam room back in the day so i started playing on the streets because i lived right down this neighborhood in philadelphia where that's what there was the center like by south Korea it's called and that's where all the street performers were so to me like my whole life i've seen all different types of street performers so i said fuck it i'm gonna go out there so that's what i did that's then like the first night out there I was out there with my friends and we're kind of doing this as a joke, but we made $20 and we're like, holy shit. We're like 16 years old in 1987 or whatever. And we just made 20 bucks when I couldn't get my friend. It was like a hobby. Like Friday was come and I'd be like, people be like, what are you doing? 
down the street. You want to come? All right, I'll come. Or no, no, we're going to party. All right, well, cool. See you know. But well, let's see. The first time I went to a studio, studio was um, my buddy was going to Temple College, Temple University, of Philadelphia, and he's majoring in like he was doing film. He was learning about film or whatever. And um, and he invited me to come down to his to the studio, and he recorded my first rap I wrote. But this is one. This is in 1992, right before I moved to Boston. So I recorded my first rap, which was called "Rhyme for the Summertime," and um, and I we did actually multi-tracking. It's on the G Love Oh Yeah record, but you can hear it. it's like I play a slide guitar, a regular guitar, and an overdub harmonica. Um, so that was like my first time ever doing multi-tracking. It's a really cool track. It's called "Rhyme for the Summertime" on the Oh Yeah record, but. So then after that, you know, then then I then I was kind of on my way. What were your influences growing up, like around that age, around that 16 to 20 mark? You know, what what's drawing you in, like as far as influences? So my mom had a um, small but really cool record collection. And I found this pile of records in the basement. And um, Bob Molly, Rastaman Vibration, did Dr. John in the right place. She had. Waylon and Willie, Carol King, she had Donovan's greatest hits, not my friend Donovan, but Donovan from the 60s greatest hits. Yeah. And the Beatles White Album. Um and the Beatles and then um maybe one more Beatles album and Bob Dylan's greatest hits. So the the White Album and, and Bob Dylan's greatest hits turned out to be my biggest influences, but all that stock kind of influenced me. Especially Dr. John Donovan and um and bob Moore. yeah there's different um but the, yeah and, and then later on i discovered like through my friends the velvet underground stuff that was a huge influence on me that i didn't really know yet but was the hip-hop that was part of the that i was growing up with culturally so right. i was one that was two kids i was one kid that was sitting playing folk music in my room and then friday night <laughs> And I pop into Beastie Boys, you know, license the ill record on my Panasonic, and I go right and get pumped up and drink a Jolt Cola and meet up <laughs> and go write graffiti. And, you know, we were kind of participating in the hip hop culture because it was like this city, this inner city youth culture. And we were writers and we were skaters and, you know, bike couriers and stuff having to do with like inner city philadelphia so that stuff like and and those early hip-hop from you know run dmc to ll cool j beastie boys you know eric and rock him and then later like de la soul and tropical quest on the far side and really influencing me when i started kind of accidentally mixing hip-hop with the folk and the blues that I but you're saying that 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 just happened organically by meshing not by you having that idea or, or what was it yeah so i, I have a, a line in, in one of my songs called product of the city and the line in the song goes it just kind of happened it wasn't thought of this is the city and i am the product i think that kind of sums up how i came into my style and so it just was kind of like you know Philadelphia, it also has to do with me being from Philly and the timing. If you ever read, do you ever read Malcolm Gladwell's book? Um, it's called, um, I think it's called Outliers. 
I haven't, but I'm making a note right now to check out well, it, Malcolm Gladwell. Yeah, Malcolm Gladwell's out, Outliers. All his outliers. books. This one's, this one's interesting because uh, we um, it's it, it breaks down like, you know, why did the Beatles make it? And, and why did um, Steve Jobs and Bill Gates, you know, these guys all grew up in relatively the same neighborhood um, in the same town, graduated high school within a year or two of each other. And why did they become the Silicon Valley? Well, it, it, all these different opportunities. Mm. And so then you could take the same question and say, why in the early 90s did three bands who are really pioneers of 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 this thing and that those bands are um, the Goats, the Roots, and G Love and Special Sauce in the early '90s, and the Goats were kind of the first out. Of, they were the big bros today and make it as far, but um, you know the Roots were, you know, basically a couple of African American kids grew, growing up in the city and big hip hop lovers. And they also went to Kappa performing arts school and they wanted to make records with their instruments sound like the records, the hip hop records that they love. So they, you know, mm. West love sound like a, a record and, and they made hip hop like that live. And this was when no one was doing this. And, and then right. what happened? Well, I was a kid that was playing, you know, I was a little graffiti writing skateboarding you know um little hippie kid playing folk music and hanging out in the grateful dead lot parking lots and going to the blues fest going to the folk fest going to the open mics and also listening to all this hip-hop since i was a kid so one day when i was a street musician um I'm jamming on this blues riff and I just start rapping the lyrics to my favorite Eric B and Rock M song called Peyton and Folk. And that was my epiphany. And then so we were basically a garage band that played hip hop. So why did that happen? Well, and then the goats were like kind of a rock and roll band that played hip hop. So um, it all happened in the, in the early 90s. And then across at the same time, across the country, Beck at the very same exact time was looking for a record deal as well. We were the first culture that grew up listening to this African-American art form, hip hop, which was like a pure new kind of music, right? And we listened to it from the very beginning and now we had come of age. And now hip hop was very much like a cultural thing. So there wasn't many, you know, white rappers, except for there was the Beastie Boys. Vanilla Ice got, he was never, he wasn't accepted by like hip hop. He was just like a pop phenomenon. Right. And all with this and but like that was a long way of saying the whole thing about my thing was that it wasn't formulated it's like a a matter of circumstance and timing that i happened to play guitar you know and i also happened to like know all these hip-hop songs by heart so and i also happened to like be on the fringe of of of, of like the hip-hop culture as like a graffiti writer and a skateboarder and stuff so that this was just kind of a the reason my music came to be and the reason because we did i can say that i created my own style and i was the first guy to do it the only other person that can say that is like is back because yeah kind of his style is different than mine because his records especially all his big records use samples and stuff we were a band you know i mean like 
the whole thing about it was that it was not formulated and it wasn't like contrived in any way. It wasn't like, oh, I'm going to, it's, let's scientifically figure out how to mix <laughs> right. hip hop and, and blues. <laughs> right. that it was, like, I play the blues and I also rap when I'm hanging out with my friends. So, and then, you know, in high school, you would like freestyle. So, like, all this stuff was just, it was just who we were. And, and that's why, that's why to come back to your point of it being pure it, w it was pure so and and it was also new so now hip-hop's everywhere and obviously hip-hop's blended with everything from country to you know, indian music it's like the blend right so, yeah yeah i mean it's like the it's, it took over it, it's the new pop you know um and then when i listen to like like the the reggae of today is, is, is an interesting phenomenon because, you know, there's, it's a huge movement. You played Cali Roots. Yeah. Like the, the interesting tenor, like kind of cultural thing right now is like the, the reggae thing, because the big reggae bands now are, you know, like predominantly um, white guys playing, white kids playing reggae. And obviously, yeah. Stupid and sublime, sublime kind of, set the path and then stupids carried the torch and have created this huge community and um and you know all these bands coming up like stick figure and everybody else yeah you know sublime like bradley and and stupid probably you know came up listening to all these old records and then they figured out a way to mix their southern california culture with this reggae and same thing with some of the hawaiian artists new reggae artists but then the people that have learned from them like for instance like you know scott from stick figure who's having a tremendous moment right now like he and i know this he was strongly influenced by slightly stupid oh yeah right so again it, it, this is an age-old thing where like you know if people come up to, if i say to someone on the plane oh what kind of music do you play? Oh, I play the blues. Oh, I love Eric Clapton. That's not who I'm talking about. I'm talking about Robert Johnson. Like I'm talking about learning from the source. So, right. and, but it's just the path of music. And I always say music is like this river that you jump in, right? When you, when it's your time. Right. And all the stuff that came before you is pushing you along. And then you're pushing along all the stuff that came after you. So you're just, it, no one's reinventing the wheel, but everyone's just kind of carrying on these flavors. And, you know, it, it's just an interesting thing. But it's interesting to see the movement of, of music and the, all these genres, reggae, blues, pop, whatever it is. Um, after it's been done, it's like, you know, all right, how are you going to redo this? Like, you can't redo this. You know, there's a lot of reggae bands that are just redoing Slightly Stupid, and it's just not going to work. They're never going to reach even that stick figure point it's just not going to happen but on the flip side it really comes down to the songs and the songwriter if the songs hit and they're well written and it's just a song that can resonate with people um it doesn't really even matter the style or anything there's a couple of examples along the way of this when when someone like a core artist creates a style Right. And people come along afterwards and are, are inspired by it, but then they, they find out a way to do it even better than the originators. One was um, kind of with me, 
like a lot of people have later been influenced by my style, but I'll never forget the moment where my manager, Jay, then he plays me, um, Jason Mraz, this kid, Jason Mraz has a new single called rocket in my pocket or something. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah. and like this awesome, this kid rapping over like a banjo and acoustic guitar. And Jay was like, yeah, he just did you like a hundred million times better than you've ever done. <laughs> like fuck yeah. <laughs> that's um, awesome <laughs> and then, you know jay's a dear friend and he's taken us on tours since he's had such huge success but anyways and then another one was i'll i'll never forget when i heard this song that won grammys called by eagle eye cherry save tonight and his voice sounds just like ben harper and he's got slide guitar on the track so if yep. you didn't know the track and this was like when ben harper was having you know, one of his peaks throughout his career. So it's like, Red Hot was just like really big at the time period. So yeah. He, but he was big then too. But um, but it was like, holy shit, like this was the song that like, you know, Ben's been trying to write and, and produce a song just like this. It would be his style, but a breakout hit. And this guy, Eagle Eye Cherry, was like almost just like he just incorporated everything that ben harper had been doing and made it into a hit song and won a grammy <laughs> yeah and then like there's a lot of examples like the when um edward sharp and the magnetic zeros came out you know now it's been like 10 years that was a really new sounding record it was awesome amazing record this amazing like new artist this vibe yeah and then and they had success but then the lumineers came along and basically just copied their sound and their blueprint and then they had that big you know hey ho song. yep yep the thing's always cyclical but like you said you can come out if it is that there always is the chance that you said that one song so that kind of brings me to one of my questions here is um you know back in the day and even now um did you do you have a spot that you go to write i like to be outside like i said so if i'm on the road i just walk to a park um now we live in cape cod and i like to sit underneath the apple tree in the summertime or on the porch and write um and they can come at night they can come when i'm partying they can come when i wake up they can come in the middle of the day they can come any time of the day so always keeping open to these ideas and sounds and and things that can create a song and then later when i have like today i hope to dedicate a couple of hours to music and you know maybe if i stumble upon a cool riff I'll, I'll start working at a song so um nice i guess generally just the quiet place and the more pretty the place is the nicer because feel some fresh air moving or you know the summer sun but it can be anywhere you know and, and like i said it, it is anywhere because the songwriting process starts the minute you wake up or before that you know what i mean and uh yeah for sure and then it's just the times where you finally get you have all these puzzle pieces and and that's what takes a couple you know a couple hours or a day or a month to put them all together and then once you get the song going then you got to practice it and practice it and you got to keep working on it and editing it i'll like have to think about is this song good and if this song is good then i'll start coming back to it and editing it and make trying to make it as good as it can be one of the songs i wanted to to ask you about the song this ain't living what went into writing uh this ain't living 
Well, you know, that was a song. That was an interesting thing, actually. So, you remember earlier I said that product of the city line? Yeah. City, it didn't really happen. It never was thought up. No, it just kind of happened. It wasn't thought up. This is the city, and I am its product. So, when I used to write songs, like, and when I write songs now, like, I, I, especially when I was, that was after I had the band I wrote that song. And so, at that point, that's one of the first songs I probably wrote for my band like i i like songs like shooting hoops were early songs that i had and then played with the band but like songs like you know cold beverage and fat man and this ain't living off the first record and eyes have miles and walk the slide like these were written when i had first put my band together so now changing my writing to know that i was going to have a, a beat behind me and also trying to maybe unintentionally jeff my drummer always try to get me to make as much space as as possible because on my solo stuff i didn't make space it was just me and a guitar so now i'm having to write and make space so as jeff always said like the less you play the bigger you sound i'll tell you like the, the riff the riff on this ain't living was like de la soul had sampled steely dan but, and then one day I was messing around with chords and I said, oh, that's that chord change from that song. And then I just, I flipped it in a different way. Like I kind of stumbled upon it. You know, it wasn't like I was trying to play it. I just was going through learning chords. But then I do it in my own way. I do it, obviously the tempo is its own thing. And, and then, you know, really kind of filling in the blanks with my take on the world lyrically, you know, so really trying to, and and that song "This Ain't Living" is a really cool song because that was the first song that I wrote like with someone, with Jasper, my old rapping partner. Yeah. I'll never forget. Sat down in in Harvard Square, on Harvard Yard in Boston, and um, this beautiful spring day. And I said, "Man, check this idea!" And I had the song, and I had the chorus, and I had my first verse. And then he came back, and he wrote a verse which shared some similar, which shared some of the same lines like Mercy, Mercy, which was a shot right. to like Marvin Gaye. And so that was interesting. And then there's just a really kind of typical kind of breakdown in the middle before the, between the two verses. And then there's this, I have two guitar parts, like one's like the Steely Dan inspired thing. And then the other one is the kind of blues riff that I'm playing over it. And then, um, then the, what was the other thing about the song was like, do you know the songwriter, mega producer, Scott Storch? Oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely. He's, we only had one special guest on that record. It was him. He played. No way. Yeah. That wow. was Scott's first, um, debut on a record. So it's, it, wow. and then after, you know, he joined the roots, um, and uh so yeah all this stuff that's what i'm saying everybody's cool really we were all kids and he he was on the record it's pretty cool you know? Ooh, that's amazing one other thing i was curious about too was uh you know working with uh, avent brothers so like were you writing with them or, or what was the dynamic there on that record we had kind of linked up from just randomly being like i got to see their show and met them and then turned out they were big fans 
also that he had said he's a record. I think the story was like Seth had had a car with a broken CD player, and that was the only CD that played in the car. And yeah, and then I just, it, I kind of wanted to do a record kind of going back to my roots of, like I talked about earlier, like the folky kind of bluesy roots. Those guys agreed to produce it, and they were wonderful. So they really helped me. And then we didn't write anything from scratch on the session, but they did help me to kind of re, they did write some different kind of parts and changes to some of the songs I had, which is a, is a thing I like to do now, get them pretty much so that they're done, but then I'll take them to a different writer, play it for them, and you have any ideas, and then, well, let's, so we can add different parts or different chord progressions or take things out and just work on them. What kind of advice would you give to an upcoming songwriter? Like what, you know, someone who's just starting out, um, you know, all the years of experience that you have, what, what would you tell them? I would just say my biggest thing is like originality. I mean, um, I think that that's the number one thing that anyone can hope to achieve in life is, is to be original and do it your own way. Like I said, it's not reinventing the wheel, but you got to find a way to, to do something new in your own way. And that could be the sound or it could be what you're singing about or, you know, it could be any number of things that we don't even know about. It could be something that we don't even know about yet. You know what I mean? Yeah, it absolutely. It's not invented yet. It could be something, an instrument that you invent in your house. <laughs> Just do it your way and be original. You know what I mean? A big thanks to G-Love for being a part of Song Thrive. It was such a pleasure to talk songwriting with one of my biggest musical influences. You can check out G-Love's music on Spotify, Apple Music, and all streaming platforms. He'll be touring throughout 2019 with Blues Traveler and will be performing at this year's Cali Roots Fest in Monterey, California. For the next episode, I'll be talking with singer-songwriter JT Roach. Stay tuned. We'll talk soon.